The following message is from Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky, where we keep Christ central. This message is edited to fit the allotted time. To listen to the entire message and to learn more about Central Baptist Church, visit our website at cbcmaysville.com. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 19, the Gospel of John Uh, chapter 19, and while I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word with you, um, whether it's in print or digital form, that's okay, but if you don't, we'll have the words up here on the screen. In today's passage, we're looking at John uh, chapter 19, uh, verses 17 through 27, under the heading, The Power of the Cross. The Power of the Cross. In this message, we're going to see that it is the cross of death that gives us life. The cross of death that gives us life. So, read with me. John chapter 19, verses 17 through 27. And he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is also is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they they took his garments and divided them into, into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the, the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Behold, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Would you please pray with me? Uh, dear gracious Lord, God, I pray that you would speak through me the words that you have written by your servant, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God, may the same Holy Spirit that give us ears to hear and may it soften our hearts to receive this word. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not trusted in you as their Savior and Lord, that God, that you would open their eyes to the horror of their sin, and to the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May today be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You know, at the Burton House, most evenings we, uh, we eat dinner together, sitting around the, the dining room table. Now, the lone exception to this rule is, is on our Friday night pizza nights, where we, we, we do, we sit in front of the TV and, and uh, we take turns picking the, the movie. Now, but even knowing the, the rules, the guidelines that we have said, we, we have to protect our family dinner time. There's usually crying and whining involved whenever we tell the kids they have to turn off the TV and set the, set the table. But uh, after a, a few bites of food that get in us, we, uh, you know, it's, we, uh, things become a little more pleasant. Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll go around the table asking each other to, uh, to, to say what the, the high of their day was. What was the, the thing that they enjoyed the most? And, you know, our answers, they, they kind of vary depending on the day and who's doing the answering, except when you get to our youngest, except when you get to Silas. Regardless of the day or of the season, Silas explains that his high is playing outside. <laughs> Now, at first it was, you know, know, man, you really love playing outside. But I began to question his sincerity when, back in the winter, when it was zero degrees outside. And I know for a fact that the teacher did not take them outside. But steadfast, Silas wasn't budging from his answer. (laughs) No, his high is and has been ever since playing outside. You know, one of my earliest memories as, as a child was when I was five years old, attending kindergarten at First Baptist Church in downtown Hopkinsville. Just like my son, the high of my day was going outside to play on the playground. Now, more specifically than that, I loved swinging on the swings because I could swing pretty high. There were times I felt like I was just going to you know, go all the way around, make a, a revolution around. But, you know, being in the, in the middle of the, of the city there in, in downtown Hopkinsville, we, we, you know, became accustomed to hearing sirens. Usually it was an ambulance or maybe you see the occasional fire truck. But, but this one time in particular, I remember my dad dropping me off at school that morning and he had his suit on and, and he told me, he said, well, I've, I've got a funeral today. And now we're out there on the playground and I'm proving to my best friend who's swinging next to me that, you know, I can swing higher than than he can. We heard the sirens go off in in the distance, but this time it was was different because it wasn't an ambulance or a fire truck. It was from a police car with its red and blue lights flashing and and, and the siren chirping. Everybody's attention turned to the street uh, to see what was, was happening and and behind the police car was, was a, a shiny black Cadillac hearse, followed by a long line of cars with their flashers on. This was a, a funeral procession. And so we're continuing to, to swing and, and talking about what was happening. And I look over my buddy and I, and I say, you know, my dad, he's in, he's in charge of that right there. Yeah, you know, what he does is, pretty important. You know, it's not uncommon for us to witness a funeral procession, but it's not something that we see every day unless you, you know, are a funeral director. 
but we do see them enough to where it, 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 it you know, it, we, we don't really think too much of it. When you see that police car with its lights flashing, then the hearse and the car is driving slowly behind it. But yet when we do see it, we, we know that something special is taking place. And it's still common, courtesy for us to, to pull our car over to the side of the road out of respect and to wait for the procession to, to pass us. You know, our view of the cross is, is different than those who would have seen it in the first century. And when we think of the cross, we, we, we think of Jesus, right? And look, this makes sense because... People aren't crucified today. In fact, I bet most of you couldn't name a person that was crucified outside of what we read in the Bible. You know, understanding that he's writing to the the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century Palestine, it makes sense that John doesn't go into a lot of detail as as to what a crucifixion was like physically. I mean, I'm sure the original readers of this gospel wished, honestly, that they could forget the horror of seeing beaten prisoners parading down the main street outside of the city to to hang to their death. Golgotha, the place of the skull, was an execution site. But it was different than how we might view an execution here in today's time. For, for we, you know, ours are in a heavily guarded, high security prison. Out of the way of everybody. You have to have credentials in order to witness an execution. They keep the crowd fairly small. But back in the first century, it was not that way. It was a public spectacle And so this execution site, Golgotha, was right outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it was on the side of a major highway where people would pass by and they would see these crosses. And it was done in part to humiliate the condemned. But it was also to serve as a warning to the onlookers, that what might happen to them if they did not respect the Roman law. Now, while it wasn't uncommon to to see a crucifixion, there are some unique aspects to Jesus' crucifixion, such as that his bones weren't broken, which soldiers would sometimes do in order to speed up the, the death process. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus' death was horrific. Crucifixion is one of the most evil forms of, of execution ever created. After being flogged nearly to death, and sometimes they would die in the midst of the beating. The prisoner would be forced to carry the, the horizontal beam of the cross, which would weigh more than 100 pounds. It was been observed by many that, that prisoners would go insane. As they walked towards the end uh, and, and soldiers would be behind them using a, a, a prod as if they are cattle leading them toward Calvary. 
The vertical beam was already there at the execution site. And, and once there, the, the victim's hands were outstretched and they were attached to the horizontal beam, either by nails or by rope. Then their feet experienced the same there on that vertical beam. And then they were hoisted, they were lifted up, hanging for hours and sometimes days, thriving in pain in naked in humiliation. In 1986, a physician writing in the Journal of the American Medical Association described the pain of someone crucified in this way. He said, adequate exhalation required lifting the body by pushing up on the feet and by flexing the elbows. However, this maneuver would place the entire weight of the body on the tarsals and would produce searing pain. Furthermore, flexing of the elbows would cause rotation of the wrist about the iron nails and cause fiery pain along the damaged median nerves, muscle cramps, and, and paracetheus of the outstretched and uplifted arms would add to the discomfort. As a result, each respiratory effort would become agonizing and tiring, eventually lead to asphyxia. The victim would suffocate to death. The charges for which Jesus was accused of was inscribed above his head as was the custom. Except there was a discrepancy between Pilate and the chief priest. For Pilate had written Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But not liking what the, the Roman governor had written, the, the chief priest, they suggested, why don't we just say that this man said that I am the king of the Jews? <laughs> we know the interaction between Pilate and the, the chief priest, and Pilate was tired of them questioning his authority. He finally had enough, and he said, look, what I have written, I have written. <laughs> Think at that moment, the chief priests heard loud and clear the message Pilate was sending. Unknowingly, though, <laughs> Pilate was the one who was correct. For Jesus really was the king of the Jews. However, he didn't deserve to die. We read in verses 23 and, and 24 where, where we see John's use of irony to, to show them the commonality and, and the uniqueness of Jesus' death. It was... It was also a custom for the, the executing soldiers to, uh, to take the clothing, the items of the condemned as trophies for their, for their deeds. But what was unique about Jesus is that his tunic that went around him, it was seamless. And, and so they chose not to tear it because in order to do that, they would destroy the fabric and make it less, less valuable. So instead, they, they cast lots to see who was the one that by chance would win the prize. For, you know, it would be similar to us kind of rolling dice today. But unknown to the soldiers, <laughs> the actions that they did fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy of, of Psalm 22. Where Jesus' clothing would be divided by casting lots. So hanging on the cross, naked with his, 
belongings given to those who were the ones directly responsible for his death. Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly life. But, but even there hanging on the cross, he shows his love for others. What does he do? He turns his attention to his mother who is standing there at the foot of the cross. Now, it's kind of unique. Usually soldiers wouldn't allow family members to get that close out of fear for causing, you know, a disturbance and, and trying to, uh, you know, to, to thwart the execution. But it was common for people to, to be around. As we talked about the, 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 um, the, the location of, of the crucifixion side. But, but Jesus looks to his mother and it's likely that Mary was a widow by this point. And with Jesus being the eldest son, it would have been his responsibility to care for her well-being. But saying, hanging on that cross, it's not much that Jesus could do, except he passes on this noble task of caring for his mother to one of his most trusted disciples, John. Now, John, we don't know for sure, but very well may have been Jesus' cousin, which honestly would have made this uh, instruction by Jesus even, even more natural. But we see even to the end, every act of Jesus is an example of his selfless love. You know, when we see and when we hear and when we watch about the, the, the physical pain and suffering that Jesus went through, it, it kind of shakes us. I don't know about you, but I get that tingly feeling and, and just immense, honestly, horror of what took place on that day. But as horrific as that is, the brunt of Jesus' agony comes from the spiritual pain that he suffered. From the cross, Jesus bore the guilt for all sin. That prophesying of, of Jesus' death, the prophet Isaiah says this in verse 12. It says, therefore, I will divide him portion with many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, the two thieves on either side of him. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You know, reflecting on the crucifixion, the apostle Peter writes this. He says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For it's by his wounds that you are healed. You know, it should be you. It should be you hanging on that cross. It should be me hanging on that cross, but it shouldn't be Jesus. But if you or I were to go through everything that Jesus went to be flogged and uh, beaten, to have to carry our cross, to be hung with nails attached to our hands and to our feet and hanging there, 
expiring for hours and days. And the elements and the, the birds gnawing at our flesh and the bugs making this, causing infection. And, and if we were to die, guess what? We would still be dead in our sins. Because it took, it took a perfect and sinless sacrifice in order to save the ungodly. It is the cross of death that gives us life. It's the cross of death that gives us life. You see, Jesus was the perfect and sinless. He lived the perfect sinless life that you could not live and he died the sinner's death that we deserve. But we know that he defeated death by rising from the grave. Do you believe this gospel message? Do you believe that Jesus came, lived, and died so that you might have life? Salvation comes only through Christ alone. But it's through his death that you can have life. I love what the apostle Paul proclaims to his, in his letter to the, the Corinthians. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. There is power in the cross. An instrument of death is what is God used to give us life. And, and although we didn't hang on the cross, we are called to die. Look at how Paul explains in his letter to the Romans. It says, for death, the death he died, Jesus died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What sin is it that you need to die to today? Maybe the sin of self-pity. Thinking that, well, I'm just, I'm not good enough. Look, Jesus, he died for that. Maybe it's a sin of, of selfishness. If I just don't get my way, then, uh, you know, I'm just upset. Well, friend, he died for that too. What is it in your life that you feel like, I just, I can't turn it over to God? See, no matter how hard you try, you, you just can't shake, you just can't, you can't give it up. Much way a, a, a drug addict can't just, you know, just turn it off. You have to, you just have to have it. Jesus, 
He took that sin, that one thing that you just just got a grip on you. He took that and, and he hung on the cross and he died for that sin. No one is too far gone to be saved. Whether you're the preacher's kid who spent his whole life in the church or you're the homeless drug addict who's never opened, walked through the doors of a church. Jesus died for our sins. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, we read, but we are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, purity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The cross of death gives us life. And when we die to our sin, when we, when we turn over our sin to, to Jesus, he gives us new life. We leave the old life behind and we are made anew in Christ and we live for him. Each day is a day for us to, to live but it's also a day for us to die. When you wake up in the morning, do you pray, oh Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would keep me from sin. And God, that, God, that you would give me the power to live for you. May that be our prayer. I recently read a story about a man who was selling his house in, in Haiti. And uh, as he was uh, uh, there, he was selling it for $2,000, which, you know, to us doesn't seem like a whole lot of money for a house. But in Haiti, that's not an insignificant sum. But he had a buyer. He had somebody that wanted to, to buy it. But this man was poor, and he just didn't have the money to, to give him full price for it. So they negotiated, and, and, and finally, the, they came up with an acceptable contract. The owner would sell the house for half of the original price, for $1,000. Except there was one stipulation. That the seller would retain ownership of just one small nail hanging above the door. Just one little nail that, honestly, unless you got up close to it, you couldn't even see it. So the buyer thought, that's it? I get half off of this house and all you do is have ownership of just one little nail. Like, yeah, that's right. Man, what kind of, of deal is that? No nail is worth $1,000. Or is it? A year later, the economy had changed and, and the home values actually went up. Even in Haiti, the original owner, he said, I, you know, I'd really like that house back. The new owner is like, uh, no, no, we had a deal. It was fair and square. You sold it to me. I know it's well gone up in value, but hey, hey, that's, that was the deal we made. So, you know, getting creative, maybe even a little sinister. The first owner, 
he found the carcass of a dead dog. And he hung that dog on the nail right above the door. (laughs) The new owner was livid. But honestly, there was nothing he could do. Because he didn't own that nail. The smells and the, the, the flies and it just rendered the house unlivable. He couldn't stay there. And the man was forced to sell the house. And he sold it back to the original owner, getting what he wanted. <laughs> you know what the moral of this parable is, is that if we leave the devil even one small peg in our life. He will return to hang rotting garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. Is there anything in your life, any sin that, you know what, when you smell it, it makes you stink. Now, don't let it have a home in you like that nail hanging above the door. Because it's the nails in Jesus' hand and feet are there so that you can take your garbage, your stink, your sin, and And place it on his nails so that you can have life. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you given your life over to him so that you might live? The Bible says that if we confess that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that he... Thank you for listening to this message. It has been edited to fit the allotted time. Visit our website at cbcmaysville.com to listen to the entire message and to learn more about Central Baptist Church.